Ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us for this very special Memorial Day weekend episode of the Pause Reviews Podcast. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you, one and all, for joining us here today. As always, I'm your host, Frank, joined by my trusty co-host, uh, Sir Th- Timothy. Yeah. Yeah. I almost... <laughs> throwing... <laughs> so throwing in the Sir kind of just messed me up, and then I just suddenly like <laughs> fell into this list. It was Sir <laughs> Timothy. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, all right. No, it's it's uh it's just one of those nights, man. And it's gonna be yeah. one of those episodes, which is a shame because I had like big hopes for this to be a uh you know, like a really serious like we're gonna get real. We're gonna talk about Memorial Day and we're gonna talk about war movies and we're gonna talk about real stuff. And then I just yeah. had like a crazy garbage week and I don't even know how I'm here right now. Okay, so before we jump into everything uh, a little bit of housekeeping information. We're going to start making a little bit of a shift, you know, trying out a few new things. We're working our way through this, figuring things out, learning as we go. We love the feedback we've been getting, the questions, the comments, all of it, because it it's going to help shape this product. And, and that's the number one goal. I want to put out product that you enjoy. So we're going to be trying a few things here and there. And, and the first thing we're going to do is, you know, we're loving putting out weekly content. And I think you guys are loving getting that content. So that's not going to change. However, you know, we recognize that these episodes are long. So what we're going to start doing starting next week is start cutting the episodes in half. So uh, every other week, we're going to air the first part. So that's going to be the episode where we talk about the general banter. We're going to talk about stuff that's happening in the entertainment news sphere. We're going to talk about what we're watching and give you guys some overviews and reviews of a couple of things that we've been sort of streaming and and diving into over the course of the last week or so. And and a few other little things that we're going to, the listener questions and requests and, and a few other things that we'll throw in from time to time based on all of that or, or trying out new things. So every other week we're going to air that part. And then the other weeks, <laughs> so so the every every other week, <laughs> uh, we're gonna air the in-depth deep dive review of one movie and one movie alone. Um, so there's gonna be reviews every week. It'll just be either the big hearty meaty dinner or the little appetizers uh, that we've been giving you at the start of each episode. So we'll try that out for a bit, see how that goes, see how you guys like it. Uh, if you guys have any feedback about that or you, or you like that idea or you want to see something different or whatever, shoot us a message. We'll take all things into consideration and see what works best. This new system will also let us just put out a better quality product. You know, it'll give us a little bit more time to really think about the direction of these episodes and and give you guys a cohesive well-thought-out, well-researched product, uh, which is really where we're trying to go. So something we're really excited about. We want to share that with you, so hopefully you guys will take that ride with us. And like I said, just let us know uh, what you guys think. Social media, email, all that jazz. We'll, we'll throw all that at the end of the episode. Tim, any thoughts on that? No, I, I mean, I think you're 100% right on. Just, I think, when, oh, when you come Oh, I up, know I am. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you come up on a, on a movie like this, and 
I've said my my pattern has been to watch it the night before we record and then spend the day kind of thinking about it. But when you hit something like this that just takes time to chew on, and we just love talking about some of the, the other stuff we've been watching when we've had time to consume stuff. There's just so much to talk about. When you get in that rhythm, I hate to feel like we're rushing uh, at the end um, to really get in everything we want to say. So, uh, you know, this is you can't can't hurt to to try this out and see what we can do no that's exactly it yeah and that's been my problem it's like man i don't want to cut anything i love it all and if anything i want to dive a little more like i want to do a little more and so i think this is just going to be the perfect way to let let that happen so i think it's something you guys are going to love i think it's i think it's something we're going to love doing and it's just going to be great all things are great Okay, that's the housekeeping out of the way. Let's get to the meat of what this is all about. Guys, this is the episode before Memorial Day. So this is airing on Thursday. We're recording it on Sunday. It's airing on Thursday, going into Memorial Day weekend. Not the way that we want to celebrate Memorial Day, obviously, but at the same time, we find ourselves here nonetheless. So... Our hope is that this episode can help you guys celebrate somewhat with a few ideas for things you can do in your house, i.e. watching movies and television. (laughs) So Memorial Day, things that we can watch. How can we observe this day through COVID? Uh, We can't get together. So we're going to give you a bit of a list of our choices, our picks for things that you guys can watch this weekend in honor of Memorial Day and those who have served and died for our country. Tim, uh, what do you have? I think I have two. Yeah. Two? Yeah, I got got two. Yeah. So let's do two each. Yeah, sure. Both of these are are war movies that I have loved for a long time. But the first one being Gettysburg. That movie is epic. I especially love the first part. The cast is great. The depictions are great. They filmed on property in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. They used real reenactors. They sent out calls for a bunch of reenactors from all across the country to come and fill out the ranks of both sides. But I've loved that movie since it aired on TNT. I, I taped it off of TNT when I was a kid, you know, straight with commercials in between. And I just, they, they had a whole big thing about it, big weekend thing where they were doing like a fundraiser, I think, in the same thing. So they were like auctioning off prize packs and selling uh, behind the scenes pictures and memorabilia and all sorts of stuff. But I watch that movie at least once a year. Um, the first part being my favorite. It's awesome. It's so epic. It ends with the second main's defense of Round Top with Jeff Daniels playing Colonel Chamberlain. And that whole scene where the Confederate army is rushing up this hill and they're just trying, they're the last line of defense. And you know that if they break then Gettysburg is lost and it changes the whole tide of the war. And, and, you know, everything that happens afterwards is, is, you know, all up in the air. Um, It's just awesome. It's so well done. And and the cast is great. So I absolutely love that movie. I adore it. I've watched it probably a hundred times in my life. Um, The second, the second one I haven't seen in quite some time, um, but I loved this movie as a kid. It's actually a really old movie. It's actually from 1955 and it's an autobiographical movie in which the uh, star of the movie is actually telling his own, his own story about his service time in World War II. And it's called To Hell and Back. And it stars Audie Murphy and he's playing it himself. And it's based on the uh, autobiography that he wrote about his time in the war in 1949. Um, it just talks about his platoon and their trip throughout World War II. And I always just thought it was cool because it was him playing himself telling his own story and he went on to be a hollywood actor in his own right but for him to tell his own story on screen 
it was fascinating. I'd love to go back and watch this movie. I got to find it, but I used to watch this movie all the time. It was one of those movies that was just on TV for some, t- for some reason, almost all the time when I was a kid. And I remember my dad telling me all about it. Cause he liked this movie too, when he was a kid. So what a fascinating point of view, right? Like, yeah. or a crazy dynamic in, in the film where the, the story you're watching is about the man who you're watching do it. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And he he gets he's awarded the Medal of Honor and all sorts of stuff. Um in real life? But yeah, I believe so. Wow. I mean you gotta pretty, you gotta imagine I'm it would sure be. Right? It is. If he's like, I'm telling you this audio this autobiographical yeah, story, right. <laughs> except for this one embellishment, I won the Medal of Honor. It's gotta be true. Yeah, it does yeah, it does bear out that that is that is true. It was it, it just it was a great movie. Um I just I, I loved it. Then I go with uh Gettysburg and then to Helen back was is awesome. Okay, I dig that. So I'm going to do like you. I'm going to go in chronological order. Um, So let's see. So we've had the Civil War and then World War II. So I'm going to do Revolutionary War and World War II. And I wonder, I think maybe we could, I don't want to speak for you, Tim, but perhaps we can both agree that this week's movie would maybe round out a top five and be the number five pick for this weekend. It's not a bad choice at all. Look at us go. I love it when a plan comes together. Okay, so my picks. Number one, The Patriot, starring Mel Gibson. I rewatched this movie recently. I think I just stumbled upon it on Netflix. And I was like, (laughs) God, it's been a while since I've seen this. And I threw that bad boy on. Good Lord, people. This (laughs) movie. Okay, I have to admit. So like I said, I haven't seen The Patriot in years, like maybe 10 years plus. Uh, I completely forgot how much I love this movie. I will say this. It definitely settles into a rhythm that is a little bit less enjoyable. I find that like the last two hours of the movie, it's sort of it's it, it becomes something totally different than how it opens up. And by that, I just mean just the pace. There's there's some camp in there. Like there there's a line when you know they're all they just had the wedding where uh, Heath Ledger just got married, and, and so they're all dancing, celebrating, whatever. Mel Gibson walks over to his his deceased wife's sister and says, "Oh, can I sit here?" And she's like, "Oh, it'll be a free it, it's a free country." Or at least it will be. And it's just little stuff like that really bothers me. It's no one said that. That's so it just it felt so out of place. So again, it definitely falls into a rhythm where it just sort of it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I say that because I you will be hard pressed, I think. You would be hard pressed, and it would certainly be impossible for you to convince me that there is a better 40 minutes of war film or maybe even any film ever put onto a screen than the first 40 minutes of The Patriot. Yeah. I was watching this movie, and from minute zero to minute 40, which pretty much takes you to the end of when he grabs his two sons. So his his one son has just been killed by Colonel Tavington. Yeah, Colonel T- exactly. Slash Draco Malfoy's dad. Um, <laughs> so, okay, so it just it just happened where he's killed the middle son and taken Heath Ledger in custody and they're riding out to hang him. And he grabs his two boys, they run through the woods and he does his epic just slaughter of this entire group of British soldiers to free his kid. So it's it's, it's minute it's minute zero to that moment. 
the build-up to that scene, the tension building, the character, not development, but just the introductions to this family and to the struggle, these sons who know nothing about their father's war past, and they've they've lived in this world where, like, everyone's constantly praising him. And, and we see that play out, right? When, yeah. when they go into Charleston and they're just like, you know, what about Fort Wilderness? And are you the hero of Fort Wilderness? And their kids know nothing about this. And then all of a sudden it culminates in this scene where they learn everything they need to know about their father. Dude, I was in tears. The pace, the intensity, the tension, all of it was like, so. I, the first 40 minutes, I was like, how have I forgotten this movie? Like, yeah. I don't know if I can sustain this. Like, I'm going to have to watch this over the course of a week because right. and then and then the movie sort of plummets hits this plateau and just sort of stays there it doesn't make it a bad movie it's just that you go from a 10 to like a 7 and then just hang out at a 7 and of course the story's compelling it's our freedom story right but yeah. so you know you it's hard to go wrong but at the same time you know it, it certainly doesn't maintain that throughout but those first 40 minutes Oh my, it's game changing, but I highly recommend that one. It's certainly one of the better Revolutionary War movies that exist. Yeah. For so. sure. I mean, at two hours and 55 minutes, that. Oh my God, that movie's doesn't long. Doesn't do itself any service. I've never. <laughs> it's I, like an episode of Pause Reviews, man. It's. Yeah, like... right. <laughs> <laughs> I had that movie on VHS. Oh, yeah, yeah. For, oh, for sure. I got it for, for Christmas sure. one year, and it is still one of the movies that if I see it on TV, I'll stop and watch it. But I don't know that I have purposely sat and watched through the whole thing for that reason. Because you can pick it up at any point. And you're like, yeah, okay, this is good. But it just gets, it gets, especially after that, the main, you know, a lot of it's sort of resolved. There's a weird time element where like a lot of the events are over the first couple of months. And then there's like a big jump in time somewhere near the end. Then you're finally at the end of the war. And like, is that really necessary to the story? It. It's it yeah. I, there are snippets of this movie that are just so great to watch, and then other other parts that you just want to skip through. And some of the acting, unfortunately, is it's just not very well cast in, in parts. But I mean, I guess you, maybe you could call it a guilty pleasure in some regards. But it's it's yeah, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah, no, I think uh, like I said, this one opens up as one of the greatest movies of all time, and then sort of settles into just a, an average movie. I'm not yeah. yeah, but no no stretch of the imagination. Am I suggesting that this is like, oh, this is the best? But um, <laughs> but it's certainly enjoyable. It's a, it's a great movie and one that I yeah. would highly recommend uh, on a weekend like this. Okay, so going from the Revolutionary War to World War II, America's favorite war. is uh, <laughs> So my next recommendation is HBO's miniseries, Band of Brothers. I, okay, I, I found this... I was I was living in an apartment with a group of guys. We had this one guy move in. This was, you know, in, in between high school and college. Uh, we had this one guy move in, and he had this on DVD and wouldn't shut up about it. I was like, you've never seen this? You have to see this? I never had HBO. Like, it just totally blew past me. We watched this. We started it at, like, 8 or 9 o'clock at night one day and didn't stop until it was over. It's 10-part, uh, hour-long episodes. I was absolutely floored. And ever since, I watched this at least two or three times a year. 
all the way through. I believe you can watch this on Amazon Prime for free. It's, uh, you know, they have a few HBO shows on there, the first season or first two seasons of something. Um, since this is a one-off, I think you can watch the entire thing on there for free. So Band of Brothers follows Easy Company, which is the one of the first airborne companies in warfare, and they started in World War II. On D-Day, they parachute into Normandy. They do Operation Market Garden. They're a part of the Battle of the Bulge. They uh, liberate Hitler's bunker. They liberate the Netherlands. Like, they, they see... Basically, every major combat, every major operation, this company is involved in it. Their tactics and all that are still taught today at West Point as like textbook operations. And so you, they, this, this show takes you through their path of the war. And it's illustrated before every episode with these men. And you don't know who they are at first, but sort of talking head interviews of some experience or some some operation or some whatever and then you watch that play out in the episode it is so captivating so moving but incredibly well done i believe it's produced by tom hanks and steven spielberg i'll never forget tom hanks gave a speech when he was had won an emmy or something right something had happened and he had won something for this show and he was talking about it and he said that it was his dream to tell this story and to tell the story of these men who did nothing short of save the world. And uh, when you think about it in that context, and that line has stayed with me, dude. I mean, this this came out decades ago. And I still remember that because it's so true, right? Like, this, this was nothing short of saving the world. And this show is absolutely incredible. If you've seen it, watch it again. If you haven't seen it, I have been hounding my dad to watch this show. I've I've bought it for him. I've given it to him. And I know he's just waiting because he's like, I got to find the time and sit and watch it and whatever. But he still hasn't seen it. It drives me nuts. <laughs> like it is, it's the only, the only fracture in our relationship is <laughs> like, why haven't you seen this? He's retired now, so I pray to God he's watched it by now, or we'll watch it soon. <laughs> Anyways, Band of Brothers and The Patriot. The Patriot is on Netflix right now. Band of Brothers, I'm pretty sure you can watch for free on Amazon Prime, but, I mean, buy it, whatever. Uh, Tim, yours were uh, uh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg and, and To Hell and Back. And To Hell and Back. So those are our four picks. Now, that brings us into rounding it out with number five. And that is this week's episode, this week's movie, Sam Mendez's 1917. We're going to take a short break. We're going to play some music after the song, and we'll talk about 1917. We'll be right back. We're back. Pause Review Podcast, our Memorial Day episode here, rounding out our top five. So if you are fast forwarding to this uh, in the previous section, go back and listen to it. We're uh, outlining a few movies, shows, whatever that we recommend you guys watch for Memorial Day. So real quick again, Tim's were Gettysburg and To Hell and Back. Mine were The Patriot and Band of Brothers. Go back. We tell you where to watch them. We tell you how to watch them. We tell you where they're from. We tell you all the kinds of things. Listen to that part of the episode. But right now, number five, this week's episode, Sam Mendez's 1917, which is a World War One 
epic of a movie. Tim and I need to take a real deep breath before we get started. I feel like it's going to be the only breath that we take because this movie is special. 1917, where to watch it? Right now, you can rent it or buy it. It is worth every freaking penny. I say buy this movie. It's worth it. As always, spoiler alerts. We are going to talk about this movie. So if you haven't seen it and you want to go watch it first, I dig it. But we told you last week we were watching it, and we told you where to watch it. So shame on you. You should have seen it by now. And I will say, don't spoil this movie for yourself. No, it's, oh, good point. Don't Tim. do it. Don't do it. I I agree completely. Normally, I would I wouldn't care what you do. Pause this right now if you have not seen this movie. Watch it and then come back and listen. You can fast forward again. Don't yeah. let us spoil this experience for you. God, this movie's good. Okay, 1917 was released in 2019. And it is directed by Sam Mendes. If you don't know who he is, he directed things like American Beauty, Road to Perdition, Jarhead, Revolutionary Road, and The Last Two Bonds, Skyfall, and Spectre. It was written by Sam Mendes. This is his first writing credit. Um, And he teams up with Christy Wilson-Cairns, who I guess most notably you might know her. She wrote some episodes of Penny Dreadful, uh, the TV series. But I believe this was actually her first feature screenplay. She also written a bunch of short films and and various other things. Uh, So definitely not new to the game as a writer. But I believe this was her first feature length film. We don't normally do this, but I want to highlight the director of photography, the DP slash uh, cinematographer, which was Roger Deakins. And we're going to talk a lot about him in just a second. So I want to highlight that as well. I normally give you guys budget numbers. I'll be real honest with you. I forgot to look this up and not until right this minute. I was on a walk earlier today and I said, oh man, I got to pull those budget numbers. We'll look it up next week. We'll do like an error in emissions thing and I'll put it in there. But this movie was a commercial success. I was looking at the numbers here on this outline and I was like, what? What? No. So I'm glad those are wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's it's left over. Uh, it's copy pasted from last week's outline. So it says <laughs> budget 80 million, gross 46. Not true. <laughs> I think like, yeah, I, no I want to say this gross like over 350 million. And I want to say the budget was maybe 100, 150 million, but We'll, we'll, well pull proper just, numbers for next week. That also just highlights to me uh, that for love of the game costs eighty million to make, and this was you know maybe one hundred and fifty. Wow, um, what they do with that eighty million? <laughs> yeah, well, this one didn't have Kevin Costner. So, <laughs> um, all right. So, uh, cast this movie. We're going to talk about the casting in a second. We're about to tell you some big old names, but this movie is so different. It's so different yeah. than what these names say. Okay, so your two leads are George McKay and uh, Dean Charles Chapman. Dean Charles Chapman might be the lead that you recognize most readily. Uh, he played uh, Prince slash King Tommen in the HBO series uh, Game of Thrones. Just this little thing they did. Don't know if you've heard of it. George McKay, I'd never seen him before. Andrew Scott plays uh, oh sorry so dean charles chapman plays uh, lance corporal blake and george mckay plays lance corporal schofield Char- andrew scott who you may know him he's been in a bunch of stuff he's an english character actor but he was he played moriarty in the remake of sherlock with benedict cumberbatch 
uh, who's also in this movie. But uh, Andrew Scott played Lieutenant Leslie, Colin Firth, General Aaron Moore, Richard Madden, who I'm a huge fan of, plays Lieutenant Joseph Blake, who's Lance Corporal Blake's brother. Benedict Cumberbatch is Colonel McKenzie, and Mark Strong is Captain Smith. Okay, the synopsis. Tim, I'm like, my heart is racing. I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Okay, synopsis. Uh, Lance Corporals Blake and Schofield are given eight hours to deliver urgent orders from the general to hold an attack of British forces on what is thought to be a retreating German line in order to prevent catastrophic loss of both battalions since it's now known that the Germans have actually planned this elaborate trap to just slaughter the British forces. So Blake and Schofield are basically given an envelope and they say, you need to run from here to there and give this to Colonel McKenzie, hashtag Benedict Cumberbatch, and tell him not to attack these Germans that he thinks are retreating. Very simple, very straightforward. Overall opinion, I'll kick us off. This movie is absolutely fantastic. I cannot stress enough how incredible this movie is. This movie is visceral. It's visually stunning. It's powerful. I have honestly never seen anything like this in my entire life. I cannot stop thinking about this movie. And what I was going to say is that, unfortunately, this episode is just going to be trash compared to what this movie deserves. Because to be honest, like, I've had two days of just trying to wrap my brain around what I just saw. So I'm going to do my absolute best to break this down. But I'm just asking for your patience, guys, because we're going to kind of take this journey together. Yeah. (laughs) But this movie is incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird to say this about a war movie, and especially when you watch it, you'll understand why. But it's beautiful. I, I mean, the colors, the color changes, the imagery and the detail is just absolutely superb. I mean, mm. it's so simple, and I think that really elevates everything else. Yeah. And it just hits hard from minute one as they descend into the British-held trenches and it doesn't let up until the very end. Much like you said, you know, like we need to take a deep breath. That's what this movie is. I mean, you take a breath in the beginning and you don't come up for air until he sits down, until um, till, uh, Schofield. Schofield sits down at the end. When he sits down by that tree, that is the first time where I feel like you can take a deep breath because it is just head down, plowing through the entire time. I came across this line from an article that I read earlier, and it says, which is absolutely uh, apropos, it says, um, this movie is less something you watch and more something you survive. And that's absolutely a compliment. And it's totally true. That is perfectly said. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely perfectly said. Let's jump in. Before we really get into the nitty gritty of the movie, just a, a few general trivia, fun fact type things. So we mentioned the director of photography, cinematographer, um, a little bit. If, if you don't know, so the DP is, the, that's so that your director is the overall vision guy, the idea guy. This is the sort of general look and feel that I want. Your DP is, this is how we do that. Or this is how we bring your general vision to life. He's very much responsible for the, the actual visuals and the execution of those visuals that you see play out on screen. And because this movie is so much that, 
we would be absolutely remiss to not mention Roger Deakins, who was the DP slash cinematographer on 1917. If you don't know who he is, he's worked on every film you ever saw. So he's worked a lot with the Coen brothers and a lot with Sam Mendes. He is a two-time Academy Award winner and a five-time BAFTA winner, um, which is the, the British Academy Awards. He's essentially been nominated every single year for the Oscars uh, since the early 90s. And in 2008, he was nominated for two different films uh, in the same category, which is Best Achievement in Cinematography. Here are some of his nominated films. And these are not an exhaustive list of what he's actually done. But he's been nominated for Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, No Country for Old Men, The Reader, True Grit, Skyfall, Prisoners, Unbroken, Sicario, Blade Runner 2049, which he won for that, and 1917, which he won for that as well. Um, so that, that that's just a sample of what he's been nominated for in the last 15-odd years, let alone what he's actually worked on. It's unbelievable. He is uh, it, epic. It makes so much sense when I read that, just thinking back to you know, specifically Shawshank or even Oh Brother, there's just a wash over this movie that once I saw that, I'm like, oh, that that it it feels very familiar, but familiar in that authentic kind of way. It's like that grit that you see from Shawshank or Oh Brother or or No Country. Even Skyfall. Just, yeah, it's there's just a grit to it that that lends authenticity and that is absolutely something that comes through in this movie the way that it does in those other movies for sure no i agree in terms of the film itself uh 1917 won three academy awards this year and honestly i can't believe it didn't win more but yeah. uh, it won best achievement in cinematography which we talked about it won best achievement in visual effects and best achievement in sound mixing in addition to the ones that it won, it was nominated also for Best Picture, Best Director, Original Screenplay, Makeup and Hairstyling, Production Design, Original Score, and Sound Editing. So Best Picture, Best Director, and Original Screenplay all went to Parasite. I didn't see Parasite yet, so I can't speak to whether or not I think that was a snub, because Parasite very well may be the greatest thing I've ever seen. I just haven't seen it yet. I know. Shame on me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, makeup and hairstyling. That one went to Bombshell. And I get that. I mean, dude, Charlize Theron was absolutely unrecognizable. Uh, I thought she was Megyn Kelly. So, I, yeah, I dig it. Well earned. Um, original score, Joker. Okay. I think that one... <laughs> you know, that's fine. Uh, sound Bye. editing went to Ford and F- Ford versus Ferrari. Okay, well deserved. That movie was epic, and just engine sounds alone were were yeah. awesome. I will say though, production design going to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This that was a snub for 1917. The production design in this movie is epic. The entire yeah. we're gonna talk about this. The entire movie's exteriors. They built miles of trenches. This feels i mean to to the 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 finest detail of this movie is stunning and it is captivating and engrossing and immersive this movie's insane how this didn't win production design i don't understand and i've seen both movies and i love once upon a time in hollywood but no 
just no. Um, anyways, that's my two cents on that. Um, what else? Okay, we talked a little bit. This is Sam Mendes' first script, uh, as long as 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 well as Wilson Karen's first feature. He was actually encouraged to write this by the film's producer, Pippa Harris. Um, he was struggling after Spectre, after the Bond movies, to find something he wanted to work on. He said he read just thousands of scripts, hundreds of scripts, and just couldn't find something he was fired up about. And so Pippa Harris was the one who said, well, why don't you write your own movie? And he was like, well, because I'm not a writer. <laughs> and so, but finally he was he was encouraged enough to to write this one. The movie is actually very loosely based on his grandfather. Uh, and the film is actually dedicated to him in the end. His grandfather served as a messenger in World War One, and and he says that this story is very much a nod to the stories that his grandfather used to tell him uh, when he was growing up. And so, you know, and and you can see that you can see that this meant something to him, and that he wanted yeah. to honor his grandfather in this way. Um, uh, obviously, not that this exact thing is what happened to him, um, but just more so you know, based on experiences that his grandfather had doing a very similar job to what these two men are tasked with. But I thought that was interesting. He also, Mendes wanted to cast actors in the leads that were not well known. As as I mentioned, Dean Charles Chapman may be the most recognizable uh, of the two leads. Um, He wanted us to learn about these characters, their mission, the surroundings, all in real time, and for us to not have any preconceived expectations. And it's funny, we've already talked a little bit in this episode about how powerful those preconceived expectations can be. And you walk into a movie expecting to see certain actors, and, and, and you can immediately picture how they might play the role based on what you think you know about the movie. And I think this was a massive success. And especially for being unknown, this movie is beautifully acted. The acting is superb. This whole notion was a massive success. And and I was very much invested in this story uh, because of what they were able to do on camera. It's, it's amazing because they go... I mean, you go from trenches full filled with guys. And then the meat of this movie is one to two guys for a majority of it. Right. And they are alone. And then one of the biggest chunks in the middle where there's any sort of human interaction, it's a French lady, a baby and Schofield. And like, that's the most human interaction that he's had in hours in this movie. And it is just for the way he carries it. It's just, it's, it's unreal. But from a history side, I think this movie is just purely fascinating. I think back to um, a lot of the history that um, that I've studied in you know, high school and college, and I feel like World War One is pretty glossed over in at least America in American school systems. I agree. Um, you're it's stuck between the Civil War, the American Civil War, and World War Two. I mean, it's forty-ish years after the Civil War. And then 30-ish years prior to World War II. And it's just those two wars are so immense in American history and American culture that World War I just kind of gets lost in it. So much so that when my wife turned to me and she goes, well, what was World War I about? I stumbled to kind of like, <laughs> I was like, oh, it, uh, well, there was the, 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 the guy, Ferdinand, Ferdinand in Turkey and... <laughs> <laughs> but I could I could rattle you off all major bullet points about the Civil War and World War II. And I, it just hit me that in that moment, I'm like, I know very little about World War I. Like, trenches, 
and Archduke Ferdinand. Like, uh, that's yeah. about what I got for you. And I'm, you know, I'm into history. Like, I, I probably know a little bit more than the average person. But the fact that I really couldn't put into words anything about World War One, I, I was like, just kind of goes to show you how overlooked this movie is in our history, but then also in our pop culture. It has not been given the the dues. They, there's not been an immense amount of World War One movies. I, I just don't think there's much um, in the popular zeitgeist about it. Well, and it's um, interesting, and this, especially this movie, it's very much, it, it follows British forces, and like both World Wars, the American perspective on those in particular is so skewed simply because, you know, we were neutral for yeah. a massive chunk of both of these, and especially World War II that most people know a lot about. Obviously, Pearl Harbor happens in 1941. World War II goes on until, I believe, 1945. But Europe had been fighting since the 30s. You know, Hitler rises to power in the 30s, like 1931, 32 maybe. Yeah. And so there is so much of these that we as as a nation don't fully understand because it's it's yeah. kind of like not my war, not my problem until suddenly yeah. it is. And then right. we want to come in and be like, oh, yeah, you know, this is how it happened or this. But these are you're absolutely right these are totally i mean the world knows world war one as the great war like when they say the great war they're not talking about world war ii they're not talking about our war for independence they're not talking right. about the civil war they're talking about world war one and and it's like soccer we're the we're the only ones who are kind of like yeah world war one it's kind of like this little thing but this was a massive and, and the first time that the yeah. globe was at war. Um, yeah. So for this movie, I loved, I loved the trailers for this. I was so fired up when I was like, this is a World War One movie. We don't yeah. have this and we need this. And wow. wow. Yeah. I mean, it, this movie just really illuminated to me in its detail, like really what this was all about. Like, yeah, you heard living in the trenches was awful and, you know, gangrene and trench foot and, I think this is where you really first started getting a lot of that, um, those early signs of PTSD with guys just, you know, going crazy because they're, you know, under 24 hour bombardment in these trenches trying to, you know, survive rats and, and rotting limbs and piled bodies on top of each other. But it's just how intricate the trench systems were. They're shoulder to shoulder and there's dugouts and deep craters and guys like got bunks built into the walls. It was just so illuminating to see what this actually looked like. You know, No Man's Land wasn't this beautiful pasture that people were fighting. It was just full of craters and dead bodies and animals and barbed wire. Like, it was hell. It wasn't a nice little area that two guys were fighting over. It was just garbage. I mean, yeah. absolute garbage. And the other thing that I really couldn't get over was you see the military tech you know, the weapons are better. We see a tank at one point, an early tank that's been disabled, but there's still horses on the battlefield. They've got these giant howitzer cannons, right, that, that the Germans destroyed on their, their retreat. But their communications are still down to like, oh, our one phone line or one telegraph line, whatever they were operating, has been 
you know, severed. So we got to send these guys to, you know, run this message in eight hours to the front lines because our communication is down. I think there was a scene in that early opening where the general sends them to talk to a sergeant or someone about what's the quickest way over no man's land. And the guy that they sent him, sent them to is been dead for two days. And the general didn't even know that within his own trench lines. Like there is no communication. And then the field hospital. I mean, that field hospital was no different than a scene right out of Gettysburg. I mean, they're just still just hacking people's limbs off. They have, you know, medical advances in those 40 years did not go as far as the military advances. So you've got all of this new ways to create carnage, but a lot of things haven't changed. And instead of guys lining up and walking at each other as they do in the Patriot and Gettysburg, they're just dug into the ground and that's exactly what i was gonna say the reason we needed this movie is to remind people of how awful this war was when you see trenches and this it was unbelievable i I remember as soon as it starts it opens up you're in the fields and then you're in the trench and it is awful it's claustrophobic it is tension building it is uncomfortable and then to just see the elaborate thing that they've built and it's it's exactly like you're saying my first thought was wow we went from just marching straight at each other pointing and shooting until someone decides to turn and run and this is not much better now it's just like okay uh we're gonna take two days we're building right here okay we see you right there um and then we're just gonna start throwing stuff at each other I mean, this was this was atrocious, and this movie, like I was saying, it's so visceral and immersive. It's, I mean, you're in it, man, and you see it, and they do not hold back. Uh, nope. It's it's absolutely masterfully done, but it's also just completely, completely horrible. So, this sort of some facts, some overarching sort of nuggets of information. Now we'll do the bad and the good. The bad, there ain't much, um, uh-uh. but but we'll touch on a on a couple things. Thing number one. So Schofield ends up being your lead in this. And Who, by the way, you could not have found a more British looking man than this guy. <laughs> it's so true. Tim, what do you mean by that? He just like he is just like your quintessential British chap. It's, like it's true. He, he just chap is the perfect word. <laughs> That's just, I, I think I even said that to my wife. I was like, how much can this chap take? <laughs> like, right, right. It's so wild. So that was my first criticism. For a movie that feels so real, his character just had this, this element. It was unbelievable where just the amount of stuff he survives. And, and I don't mean that by like, you know, the war or whatever. Like literally things that happen to his person that he endures and survives. Like I'm pretty sure... You know how he he gets shot at a billion times. I thought that sniper when he opens the door. I thought the sniper absolutely shot him in the chest. Yeah. Um. He jumps off waterfalls. Just so much happens to this guy that it's it border like they got to a point on the end towards the end of the movie. There was a little bit of fatigue on my part where I was just like, for real? Like what else happens? Like everyone else has died in seconds, but yeah. like this guy makes it. And so I found that a little bit hard it's to, video to it's video game level oh, damage yes yeah oh my god dude like his hp was 1500 and he took like 1490 damage and just <laughs> yeah. barely makes it through the boss fight yep anyway so so yeah that that was kind of frustrating okay the last thing i'll say is the screenwriting and and i put this i put this here not because it's a bad for me but i want to warn the listeners, because this very well may prove to be bad for some. And that is 
uh, for me, it's a massive good. But the screenwriting, this this very much feels like uh, like a movie written by a director because the the entire focus of this movie is the visual. As Tim mentioned, yeah. this is a very simple story, massively simple story. There is barely a story at all. The story is, hey, take this envelope to that guy. Go, right? And and there's really no character development. We We learn about these characters, so I guess they develop in front of us that way. But there's no, like, arc changes. There's no real lessons learned because there's really just not time. You're watching this in real time, right? So you, you're getting a snapshot of these lives in this moment, and it is standalone, which I found to be fantastic. But, yes, very much not a not a very in-depth story and certainly one that's clearly written by somebody with eyes focused on visuals. I don't think it's a disservice, but I put it here because it very well may be for you. Yeah. I, I mean, it's only a bad because maybe at the end you notice it, you notice that there's literally nothing else going on in this movie, except what you are watching. It is about what happens in these eight plus hours. And you know, like you said, you learn a little bit about these characters, but not necessarily more than we need to know for them to accomplish this mission. We know that that Schofield is, has been awarded a medal at some point through meritorious service for something. So we know that he has it in him to, you know, he has this bravery to be a soldier. They talk about this whole thing. And he's not necessarily proud about it. He He's gotten rid of his medal. He's, he's, later on, we find out he's traded it for a bottle of wine. He doesn't want to bring it home to his family. Blake is appalled at this. Blake is like, everybody would be happy to see you. And Schofield just doesn't care about home. He goes so far as to say he doesn't like going home or getting leave because that just means, you know, that he's he's got to return, uh, that he has to leave home again. He he he's he's just not. So you get the sense that he he is a good soldier, but he's not necessarily happy about the fact that he's a good soldier. And Blake, we know, is good with maps, and he has a brother, so that is his motivation. Like his brother is needs to you know his motivation to get there is is twofold. It's to save other soldiers, but you know to to save his brother. Um, so we don't learn more than we need to about them. You could have easily wrapped this movie in a frame, very much like you do, like they did with with Saving Private Ryan, where you know it's it's about Private Ryan visiting the grave of the soldiers that you know that saved him, that were responsible for for extracting him from the situation that he was in. Um, you know, it could have been about Schofield writing back to Blake's mother about the you know he asks Blake's permission um, both. Uh, as he is dying and then of his brother that, Hey, you know, can I write your mother and let them, you know, let her know that, you know, your brother didn't die alone or, um, you know, that he was brave. So you could have wrapped it in something like that and given it some kind of frame. But I think that would have just distracted from what they were trying to do, which was just tell the story of these events at that time. Uh, it just didn't need to be wrapped in anything else. And, and, and I agree. It's exactly what, like what you said. It's not bad. Um, it's just that it's so simple that it's so noticeable that there's just no nothing else going on. There. It is, but it's funny, you know. I remember, I remember in, in undergrad, I was an art major, and and so we studied a lot of a lot of artists, and I I remember studying Piet Mondrian, and at first glance, you just see a bunch of black lines and primary color squares, red, yellow, blue, right? Just these random squares. Everything feels very random. I will never forget 
what my professor said that day. Because, you know, many of us will look at a painting like that and be like, I can do that, right? My kid can do that. We hear that all the time, especially when we're talking about modern right. art. And it's like, where's, you know, like, look at this, you know, Renaissance painting and, and spumato lighting and all this kind of what we perceive as being you know, masterfully done, right? Your Da Vinci's and your Michelangelo's. And, and so when you see a Piet Mondrian, you think nothing of it. And the professor looked at me and said, this may look like nothing or it may not look like much, but it is so easy to hide in complexity and it is impossible to hide anything in simplicity. And so what you're looking at is true mastery of art, of color usage of balance of negative space because there are three things on this canvas not yeah. a whole bunch of layers of oil that you know you can sort of tweak and hide and do whatever so if you don't hit the mark with these three things then you've missed completely and yeah. this movie is a mondrian right because yeah. we, we've reviewed movies already We've reviewed, I mean, we just did For Love of the Game, where they're just vomiting conflict and forced issues at you and saying, don't worry about this horrible acting, because remember, is he going to retire? I don't know. And it's like, well, I don't really care about him retiring. It's like, oh, but I sold the team. And you're just, whatever. Right. You know what I'm saying? In here, you learn so much and you see so much play out. And it doesn't have to hide behind some contrived, forced conflict. We're watching two guys. It's it's masterful. It's masterfully done. And it's so easy to be like, there's no story here and there's no this. But what we see is a man not hiding the story in complexity, but instead sure. just using just enough of what he needs to paint the picture and have you learn a little something about these guys. Um, yeah. but I can just like anyone else that you take into a museum of modern art can be like, Oh, my kid can do that. Oh, that's just a line or, Oh, that's just this. I put it in the bad section simply because you're out there guys. <laughs> and there's, I yeah. feel like there's probably a lot of people who could watch this and be like, "Meh, I could do that. <laughs> and, yep. and the truth is you can't. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> now these are two nitpicky points and the internet was an outcry with, support for this scene um this scene where they're in the german bunker and the rats are all over the first 15 20 30 minutes of this this movie as climbing in and out of dead bodies and within the bunkers and um the german troops have left their bunker in a hurry to make it look like you know to to put this plan into motion and they've left hanging next to their bunkers are i guess their rations bags of rations and the rats have figured this out and the rats are crawling all over this place it is hard to tell, but it's pretty sure from what I've seen that the rats are CGI characters. Uh -huh. And in an, in, an art, in an interview with Vulture, um, McKay was asked this question. They said, are these CGI rats? And he got um, a little cheeky with it. And he said, well, we've used the finest rat actors available to us, um, saying that, you know, they cast a couple of the rats from Ratatouille who have had a hard time getting work since that film is <laughs> out. So and he said he wanted to he, he wanted to preserve the magic. So obviously the answer is yes, they use uh, CGI rats. I just thought it was noticeable. And, and, you know, in a movie like this where so much detail is put into everything, there's there's practically dead bodies embedded in every step that they take in the mud and in the ground. These rats just don't look right. They look a little out of place. So it is 
it is kind of disappointing to kind of just pick up on some really obvious cgi it's nitpicky but with so much attention to detail it's kind of a bummer the other thing is calling the movie 1917 to me really implied that there was a larger story here that we're talking about world war one in general there's going to be big battle scenes we're talking about eight hours of the entire year of 1917. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a fair point. I get that. It just, it, it set it up as more of a war epic to me. And if I think back to the coming attractions and the trailers, it was a lot of the big war scenes. You got, you saw a lot of Schofield running down no man's land as the, as the guys are cascading over the, the wall out of the trenches and running across I'm just expecting more of a giant war epic. And this just goes back to what we said before. There's very little war, war, very little battle um, that happens throughout this movie. It's not necessarily a bad. It's just it was surprising when this movie turned out to be what it really was. I, I completely agree with that to the point that actually when we were watching and and we get the inciting incident, right, where where Blake is given the orders by the general and and he says, if we don't get this over to them by dawn, then you know all these people are gonna die. And I remember I I literally paused it. I turned to my wife and I said, "Wait, dawn tomorrow? <laughs> I was like, not like you know, dawn of next Wednesday when this huge right. operation goes down." Like I was I was at a loss for words. I was like, "This is happening." And and what time is it now? <laughs> right. Like, right. They've been lounging about. He was asking about dinner. In like the right. opening scene, he's like, "Oh, they feed us dinner yet?" Or, "Oh no, just the mail came." Like, <laughs> the whole day is gone. It's literally nighttime is left, and I agree completely. I thought this was going to be a massive war epic, and yeah. it's something very different. And it is very much. that's not a bad thing, but nope. uh, but it's certainly not what I expected. And, and there's a lot of that, even in the trailer. All of these names you see: Colin Firth, Benedict Cumberbatch, all these Mark Strong. They are each in this movie for 10 seconds and yep. <laughs> and then never seen again. Not a bad thing, but but still, yeah, I agree. Okay, that's a good segue into what is good about this. So we said what's bad, the screenwriting. What's good? The freaking screenwriting. I yeah. the more I think of this, the more I think about it, the more I love it. I talked already about the simplicity of this story. And that it is in and of itself absolutely brilliant and and just wonderfully done. There's something so unique about entering this story in this very particular moment of time. And and how everything that you uncover, you're uncovering in real time. You you know as much as anybody else, and and it's like it's like you only know what you happen to find out based on where the camera just happens to be pointed in that moment and it's not a camera it's where you're looking there's no exposition there's no broader picture there's no you as the audience already know the answer and you're watching these people these leads these protagonists go through the journey to reach this point you know what they know you see what they see and with that comes this incredible natural innate tension that I've never seen in anything else. It's it's absolutely just spellbinding. It's it's yeah. it's incredible. We talked about the death of uh, Lance Corporal Blake already. You know, he is led into this 
as the lead, right? From from the very start, this is his story. This movie opens up, and and like we said, someone approaches Blake and says, you have this mission, pick somebody else, and he picks Schofield. We're walking, and he's talking about it. He's he's owning this mission. This is my thing. He's my brother. It's, it's, it's all of this, right? And then all of a sudden, straight Game of Thrones style, the person that you thought was your lead is gone. And then yep. it's only then that you start to realize, like I mentioned, right? When he sends Schofield off to do something for the first time on his own, we follow Schofield. Uh, even even when they split up to search that house, he was like, you take the house, I'll take the back. And the camera follows Schofield into the house. But these are things you don't even notice. And then all of a sudden, this massive twist where the person you thought was your lead is gone, it's absolutely yeah. epic. And and that's that's your first little, your like act two conflict thing. What you thought was real isn't. And what you thought was happening is no longer happening. And you have to rewire your brain very quickly to now start suddenly caring about, because innately you care about your hero. And we are yep. told at the beginning that the hero is Lance Corporal Blake. And when that hero is gone, you don't know what to believe anymore. And it shakes yeah. you to your foundation. Absolutely. And it, it, what's even worse about that is there's the whole scene leading up to this after, after they've gone through No Man's Land, after they've made it through this bunker that has collapsed and Schofield has almost died. Mm -hmm. And he Blake says, well, you want to go back? He's like, you know, like Schofield makes this big deal. He's like, why'd you have to pick me? He's like, you could have picked anybody else. And and Blake's like, you want to go back? You can go back. I'll do this on my own. I have no doubt I'm going to get there. Like, there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to do this. And so even though we know a little bit that that Schofield has done something to earn a medal in the past, you don't really have much confidence in him. Not to mention that he hurts himself really early on. He cuts his hand on some barbed wire, which I know we'll touch on later. But he he doesn't really instill that much confidence in you. He's like, absolutely. You know, and coward is the wrong word, but he really comes off as just like, he's just scared of everything. And, yeah. And, and yeah. when Blake, I think you're right. When Blake is like, why don't you just go back? This, you don't have to do this. This is on me. This is my mission, whatever. You're like, yeah, why don't you? And he, but it makes it so much more powerful at the end when you find out what his true motivation really is. And yeah. we'll touch on that. But anyways, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's, no. I love that you brought that up because it's going to feed what happens at the end. I just wanted to call it out. Yeah. I mean, it's just that twist was just gut-wrenching. And what is really interesting about this is from the minute they left, the minute they go over that wall, the, the tension is like at a 10. And because they could be sniped, they could be bombed, they could... They, and then they're going into German-occupied territory where... The Germans haven't been gone long. They kick over a bucket of ash and they're still smoldering. Like and they said, they haven't been gone long. They've they've been here recently. You, you're amped up after he after Blake's this uh, saves Schofield from the the collapse, and now they're at this like beautiful farm. They had these you know gorgeous cherry trees. They're talking about this innocuous cherry tree situation, and, and Blake's explaining about different types of cherries. And the farm's clearly abandoned, so it's creepy in the kind of abandoned way. And they split up, and Schofield's line walking around this this place is he goes, "I don't like this place. Mm. It's like I, it doesn't feel right, you know." And that made my hair stand up and made that scene more tense. So to take it from a ten and drive that up a few more notches was really important in that moment because now you're like, "Yeah, they've been in danger this whole time, but now 
he feels something different about this place, which is beautiful. It, it's it's miles. It looks miles safer than all the barbed wire and dead horses and dead men and craters that they just climbed through. It's a farm. There's cows. There's tr- flowers. And he just takes that up a notch. And uh, they just everything they went through and they just find this way with that line to just kind of tell you that something now something's going to happen. Now you're waiting for something to happen while you've already been waiting this whole time for anything to happen. It goes back to that. What's around the corner thing. It's, this is a moment where I feel like you should be thinking you're safe. And he has this line that's like, Oh no, 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 no. Like you are not safe. And then that plane crash and the stabbing and you are just left floored absolutely floored and this we we mentioned it a little bit in the beginning but the incredible the incredible job done by these two actors is awe-inspiring because this scene through the whole time they really play off like oh this is no big deal or oh i'm the leader oh i'm this like they sell every trick that Sam Mendes has wrote into this script. They sell it 100%. And then the switch gets flipped, right, in the death scene, in Blake's death scene, which, of course, you expect to be absolutely crazy. And and it does not disappoint. It is earth-shattering how real this scene feels when he's stabbed and he looks at his wound for the first time and he's he just starts screaming like no no like and for a minute thinks maybe he'll make it he's trying to stand can't do it and then there's this moment where he just says there's there's this crazy moment where he he rests for a second and he looks down and he says oh i've been hit how did this happen like in the span of a few seconds he went from panicking about what he knows to be his reality to then all of a sudden not realizing what's happening to him and then he turns to Schofield and says am I dying and Schofield who just a moment ago was trying to comfort him saying no let's walk let's get you to here it's not very far let's get you to the field hospital let's get you wherever right he's trying to solve this problem and then in that moment when he doesn't remember that just 10 seconds ago he was stabbed. That's when Schofield knows. And so when he asks him, am I dying? His response is, yes, I think you are. And and the gravitas that it has and the way they deliver this. And then, and then Blake coming to terms with that in just a second and, and just wanting the picture of his family and asking him to write to his mother. And, and, and what he says is, can you write to my mom and tell her I wasn't scared? And, and like, that's what's important to him. And, and it is heart wrenching. But then to follow that seconds after his last breath, it's, it's like the mist or all these movies where something happens and you find out that you were just a heartbeat away from some kind of possible deliverance. This entire troop of British soldiers shows up in these trucks and they just happen to be heading the way that they're to the very town they're trying to get to. And you then have to watch with with all that knowledge, right? Schofield knows, like, <laughs> what? If you had gotten here two seconds sooner, 10 seconds sooner, one minute sooner, all that would have been different. And and then he's in this truck with all these men that are, I mean, they're, they don't know what just happened. 
They don't know what just happened to Schofield, to his best friend Blake, to all this. And, and they're just talking and whatever. And his face in this truck as they're giving him a lift to where he's trying to get to, I've never seen acting like that. It was, it was mesmerizing, heartbreaking. It was painful. It, it felt so real. When I'm going to use the word visceral all night long. And it was. You felt it. And it, it was the writing, but the acting. I mean, to call these guys no name is, you can't say that anymore. I, I mean, they were putting on a clinic on how to act. And it was yeah. awesome. Awesome to and, watch. It, and you know this moment too. And I think that's what, what, you're, what you're getting at with that visceral moment is you know that moment. He's in this van with guys who are of no consequence to him. And they're carrying on their witty banter, making impressions of their COs and, you know, arguing about who does the better, uh, you know, impression of their sergeant and laughing about it. And right. you're still just, you're, you're trained on Schofield and he is the only one dealing with this right now. And the, the commanding officer of this group, uh, when they, they helped him, uh, when they picked him up, he was like, you know, the best thing to do is not to dwell on it. And you see him struggling to not dwell on this, but he's, you know, that feeling when you are deeply impacted by a situation and you are the only one in the room that is feeling that. And you, you hear things going on around you, but you're not processing them because you are dealing with this internal struggle that you have. And it doesn't, Nothing that is happening inside of you is shared by anyone else around you. And they're just carrying on with their life and you are just destroyed. I, it is it is a very known feeling. And to see that is, it, it just, it hits you right in the gut for yeah. sure. And there's, I mean, this whole scene is is absolutely incredible. The, the truck ends up getting stuck in the mud and he is like freaking out about it. And these guys have no sense of urgency. To them, it's like, great like what rush are we to get into whatever mess we're heading into like let's yep. just hang out here and chill out but he is he is like ravenously trying to get this truck out of the mud and, and it's it's so it's so heartbreaking and it all leads up to and is unveiled in the end and i speak to this now because it just is beautiful writing and it's beautifully acted where you go through these phases, especially with Schofield, well, only with Schofield, right? Blake is who he seems to be, but Schofield yeah. is this mystery and, and he's sort of unraveled as the, as the film goes on. And now, you know, this is his mission is to, to stop this from happening. And, and he has to do it for Blake and for Blake's brother and, and all of this. And, and so as all these transitions are happening and then it all leads to the end where we haven't really, understood his motivation or lack thereof really up until this point but at the very end once it's all over when this film ends and he's achieved his mission he walks up to this tree in this open field and he just sits down and all he does is he pulls a picture out of his pocket and it's a woman and a child which you would assume is his wife and child and on the back it's just written come back to us and so the rage he feels about being put in this horrible mission because he got picked by Blake and all this stuff is all because he's just trying to get home for good, you know? And and he doesn't care about the medals because the medals mean you had to do something to earn it. You had to be in some yeah. crazy situation, in some horrible moment. And it's absolutely amazing. I cannot say enough 
about these actors and this writing. And that 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 final scene where that picture comes into play, I actually I said out loud, I was like, he does have kids mm-hmm. because there's the whole scene where he um, takes refuge for a little while with a um, a French lady who has found a baby. It's not her baby. Yes, and they have this discussion. She understands a little bit of english he understands a little bit of french there it's enough for them to understand each other enough and she asks him point blank oh do you have kids because he's so good with this baby she says the baby loves you he tells this baby a story the baby calms down while he's talking to it and you know without hesitation he 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 snaps into like this what seems like a bedtime poem or you know a a spoken word lullaby and she says oh do you have children and he doesn't answer uh, I think he he hears the bells the 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 morning toll after that and he 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 books it. So that moment at the end where you're like he does have kids like there is an extra motivation for him in that which he was playing it close to the vest uh, you know that wasn't what he was he was focused on the mission at hand but his overarching drive is still to get home safe. Yeah. Yeah, and again it's like for someone who's never written a movie before uh, you know it, I mean Sam Mendes it's like he understands storytelling. He understand. I mean, he's an incredible director, and that is a prime example of just. There's so many moments in this movie, so many beats that once you know the end, I am desperate to revisit this movie already because I feel yeah. like there's so much meat in the beginning that I it was throwaway for me. But yep. you know, there's so many moments in here that just tie together, and, and you can look back like that and say. Oh my gosh, he was amazing with that baby, or or whatever else. Which, uh, whatever. It's it's absolutely incredible. Absolutely well done. Um. Okay, we have talked at length about the directing or about the uh, the <laughs> writing, the acting, the cinematography, and we touched on this early on already. There is a meticulous attention to detail in making the environment and the lighting become characters in this movie and it is so successful you know we talked about how we are following these two leads eventually one lead through this movie but that's not the only characters here right we've talked about these these sprawling no man's land of just just a mess of stuff right that just evokes a response from you as if it were somebody it tells the story without having to tell the story now there is a scene i really want to highlight here i've called it the flare scene and it's in this town where he meets the french woman and the baby it's this decimated town buildings destroyed it's in ruins he walks into this scene and there's flares going off overhead that light these buildings but then also cast these shadows they are it is polar opposite ends of the spectrum, a bright white versus the darkest black. And our character, our lead running through this and exploring this. And it is freaking terrifying, right? You don't yep. need conflict. You don't need manufactured uh, incidents. When you have this type of tension building, uh, you feel it, man. You feel the conflict. And, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about it because I watched an interview with the cinematographer, and they talk about how they achieved this, right? And it was always Sam Mendes' goal. He wanted the scene to be nightmarish. That is his word, and it is accurate. This is absolutely this is a thing of nightmares. Like I would have nightmares that look like this, and it would terrify me for days. Um, yep. So they built this scale model of this uh, set, and they spent 
hours like tracing how light falls across the buildings to get the exact angles that they want so that they would know exactly where to send up these flares, right? Every scene in this movie is exterior. Every single one. Even in buildings or whatever, but these are destroyed buildings. All yep. outside. You know, you really can't control the light. So they could control these flares and, and cast these shadows and, and in the way that they wanted it to be. And the way this light moves across, these buildings come to life. This scene comes to life. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at one character, but he's surrounded by whatever, man, demons, ghouls, like, right? Like, that's what they look like. And so, all of a sudden, he's completely surrounded by this nightmare, and you feel it, and you see it, and it is insane how they are able to achieve this throughout the whole movie. Every scene's painstakingly choreographed. It's absolutely unbelievable. The fact that this scene is so nightmarish when the first you know, major conflict scene is them climbing through barbed wire, and dead bodies and rotting horses and rats. The fact that this is much more nightmarish than that. So true. Is unreal. Because, I mean, you start off with a bang of just being so disgusting. And they are literally climbing over dead bodies and through rotting corpses and barbed wire. And this scene is so much more horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. Just because you, like you said, you don't know where the demons are coming from. They are from all directions at this point. Right. What shadow could be a German soldier? Which, you're so, it's so right. Like, all the stuff you've seen is it pales to this scene like it is yeah. it's crazy it's crazy and a huge testament to to the look and feel of this movie um okay talking about look and feel general direction let's shift gears to that sam mendes has a vision for this that that is executed to perfection and that is i remember when this movie starts right like like we said, you see Blake and Schofield in the field, and then they're sent into the trenches to go get the orders from the general, right? From start to finish, Alyssa turned to me, my wife turns to me and says, was that one shot? And I was like, dude, if it is, it is the record, right? Because I know Scorsese famously shot the scene in Goodfellas of them walking into that restaurant and getting taken sort of in the back door and, and yeah. brought a table in the front row and all this. And that's a one single shot scene. And it's famous. Yep. Um, And so I was like, this just made that look ridiculous because we've been watching this for minutes. And so it was Mendez's goal to have this entire film look like one shot and the way he achieved this and he does achieve this is that each scene is shot continuously for up to six minutes so when they say action to when they say cut it is one full fluid scene there it, it is shot with one camera with one camera operator the way that they do it is it's handheld if there's a spot or a situation where the operator can't go, they have wires set up where the operator, the camera's always on a wire, or usually, and so he gets to a point where he can't go any further, he just sends the camera along the wire, runs around, meets it on the other side, picks it up, continues handheld. If the actors have to start running, there's a jeep waiting or a truck waiting, the camera operator still holding it handheld jumps into the Jeep and is driven across. And it's that same person running the entire scene, the entire movie, start to finish, one angle, one camera. It's 
unbelievable. And 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 what this does, not only is it a freaking masterful achievement of camera work and riggings and everything else, but it it gives you a point of view unlike anything you've ever seen. Right? Yeah. We already talked about the fact that it feels like you are with these men. And that is a hundred percent how it feels. And and I also mentioned how the tension is innate because you see what they see. There are no wide angles. There is no secondary angle. There is not, look what's waiting in these bushes, cut back to the actors. You see what they see. And therefore, Sam Mendes in an interview says it perfectly, where he says that the tension is built into the DNA of this movie. And yeah. it's so true because, and Alyssa said it right off the bat. Right, we finished watching the movie, and she was just so on edge. And she was like, "I couldn't see what was around the corner. I couldn't see what was up the hill." And it's so true. You know what they know, and because you know nothing, it could be anything. Couple that with the cinematography, the lighting, the this, all the things that we've talked about, the intense acting, the beautiful. Couple it with all of that, and and it is it is conflict on its own, and it's freaking gorgeous it's just bookended so beautifully and i thought about this as they as they ascend into the trenches very very like you know they they're tapped for this mission they have to go find their co and they descend you can see as they go deeper into the trench and the walls are getting higher and higher and higher and things change they were in this beautiful meadow there were it opens with flowers i mean the movie opens on this huge mm -hmm. meadow full of flowers yeah and they're taking a nap and they walk through camp and like everything seems fine they've got their full uniforms everything's nice and bright they reading look pretty letters. clean yeah they're reading letters from home their biggest concern is food right now they're a little hungry like they share some bread but then they just descend into these this maze of of holes and caverns and mud and and you again we've said this before you don't come up you know there are some some beautiful moments throughout later on the you know the 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 scene at the at the the farm kind of midway through is a gasp for for fresh air but it's not it's you know it's well disguised. it ends up being the worst right? thing that happens yeah and then it's just bookended because you're back in a beautiful field sitting by a tree at the end of this movie. And it's very much, he comes up out of the trenches into the field hospital. The field hospital is like that last gasp of horribleness. It's like that last, if you're going to equate it to a horror movie, it's like maybe it's the killer's like one last feigned attack. You see all this gruesome blood and guts and and then he just goes and sits by this tree and you're back to right where you begin. This moment is over and it, it's sort of on to the next. Yeah. It's so hard to talk about this movie. Yeah. Because you just, you can't do it justice. Um, one other thing I really want to mention is that I, I was watching an interview, like I said, and he talks about the amount of stuff that they had to build, right? Miles of trenches, all of these sets, everything's outside and everything is meticulously done and choreographed. But the most important thing, and we talked about these huge names and people you see for 10 seconds, right? Yeah. The only people you see for any length are our two leads. Everything else is very fleeting. This is a, these are snippets of time. These are moments in time. You never see the same thing twice. And that's that's what I was getting at, right? Mendez talks about how every single scene, every set, every foot 
of every set you see one time and never again. And so the pace of this movie is so intense. It is constantly pushing forward. You revisit nothing. You are just pressing forward. From the second they sit up in that field to the second that Schofield sits down at that tree, you are just moving forward. It's so intense. It's so real, and it feels like real time. With the exception of the hours lost while Schofield's unconscious, it is it is happening in real time. It is unlike anything I've ever seen. I've never seen a movie press like that. Yeah, and when you told me that, I, I even started to think about the color schemes. Like, I'm not sure mm. you see even the same colors used again every step of the way it's a different color whether it was just that gray and tan mud early on um or just the the nice green and brown from the farm and then just like the black and red of the fire within that burning downtown and then the blue gray cold of him floating down the river and then meeting the devons uh the the brigade the the troops that he's supposed to be warning Everything has a different color to it, and I don't think you see the same color palette again. Even his uniform, right, changes. He loses pieces of his equipment. He gets right. dirtier. He loses that, you know, it's a bright British green when he starts and this beautiful green, and then by the end, it's just grayed out and gross and muddy. It is. It's exactly like you said. You don't feel like you've been anywhere in this movie twice. It continues on in in a way that, really makes you question the time, right? It makes it feel real to the point that you go, oh, if he hadn't wasted 30 seconds, because he ends up, what, being 60, 90 seconds late to prevent that first wave of troops from going over. They say, like, oh, you have 90 seconds till we send these guys over. You're not going to make it. And immediately I'm like, well, is he going to be able to stop this? Like, I, I don't, you start thinking about, all this time that he, if he had just did this, if he just cut this corner, you know, of course he loses this huge chunk of time when he is, um, you know, knocked out. But if he just didn't pursue, you know, that soldier and make sure that German guy was dead, he could have had all those hours back. If he didn't stop and talk to the French lady for as long as he did, he could have been, you know, 90 seconds sooner. You think about those things in daily life. Uh, you know, I've had, uh, uh, you know, unfortunate incidents in my life where friends of mine have, uh, or friends of my family have passed away just through freaky circumstances. They were at the right place at the wrong time and got hit by a car or something like that. And you think about their day and what could they have done differently on their day to get 90 seconds back right. to avoid that situation? Be 90 minutes, sec- you know, 90 seconds sooner, 90 seconds later. W- but happening in real time, and you're just following that decisions that he could have made, and you're, they're just gut wrenching. That you know, sixty seconds would have changed uh, a bunch of lives. They would have saved however many people that went over in that first wave, right? Yep. No, it's, it's the. Uh, t- I'm glad you mentioned the attention to detail throughout this entire movie is the final, just incredible thing about this that I want to talk about. Um, again, I've said the word visceral a bajillion times, and it's. It's still true. And that comes through with the details. Like you mentioned, No Man's Land is not just this wide open space, right? And as the camera pans, you see it's wire, but then within, (laughs) there's so many moments where the camera's panning and what you think you're looking at suddenly becomes 
not what you expected. Yeah. So it's it's wire, it's wire, it's wood, it's wire, and then a face. <laughs> or yep. and even um what's his face? Uh you know, the guy who's telling them the best way to get through no man's yeah. land. The yes. way he describes he goes, You're gonna see the dead horses, you'll know it because it stinks. You're gonna hang a left, and then you see the bowing man and you turn here. And the bowing man is this like impaled German soldier bent over on this thing and so you know but then but more than that right like there'll be a close-up on their boots oh my god the opening scene of them crossing no man's land there's a close-up on their boots and these are the classic world war right the british world war one boots with the with that uh cloth wrapping sort of all up the legs so they're walking through and you see their feet sliding through this mud because their boots not only is it muddy but their boots are encased in this wet mud and it goes all the way up in every crevice of that wrapping and it's like that stuff was painstakingly put into place and it is so real and as you see these muddy boots walking over this muddy ground and these rocks embedded everywhere and then all of a sudden it's not a rock it's a hand or it's this and, and just literally bodies everywhere it is unreal and the reaction yep is it's primitive it's like it's in your gut it's disgusting and it's so intimate and so intense and like you feel like i shouldn't be seeing this i shouldn't be here right now i shouldn't know these things and we talk so much about being so desensitized to to movie violence and and war drama or whatever right i did not feel desensitized to any part of this movie this movie Uh -uh. hit me in every possible way to my core. So so you talked a lot about Schofield uh, cutting his hand. So he's yeah. holding barbed wire open so that... And, and it's funny because I think this is the first moment that really starts pissing Schofield off about why yeah. he's here. So Blake goes through first. And so Schofield's holding it open. Blake goes through. And then as he's kind of working his way through, he loses his grip and the barbed wire bounces and stabs him right in the hand, right? And he, you, yeah. he's pissed. And there's a scene where he's kind of looking at it. It's gushing blood. And he's just like, gosh, come on. And this is when he's going to be useless. Like, this is from the jump where I was like, oh, this guy's useless. Like, right. he's hurt already. Right. Forget him. Yep. So then they, they jump into this crazy crater and Schofield jumps in first and he lands right next to this rotting bloated corpse uh just to his left he looks down at it and his his left hand and he's holding it up kind of like chest high he's like all right I'm not gonna touch that body like I gotta get this clean and wrapped but I don't have time right now because we're moving through no man's land and then uh and then Blake jumps in (laughs) Blake jumps in he's like hey buddy everything cool and when he looks to his right there's which I didn't even see. I'm focused on the body next to Schofield. There's this like dead muddy face that just blends in, right? You can barely see this face. And yep. I don't notice it until Blake turns, sees it, and gets startled, screams. And when he jumps back a little bit, knocks into Schofield. And to keep from falling over, instinctively, he puts his hand out and it just it just caves into this bloated chest cavity of this dead body and he pulls it out and looks at it it's like what the heck like my hand is done dude i freaked out oh i knew it i knew it the minute i saw this scene (laughs) dude my health anxiety was through the roof i turned to Alyssa. i was like 
Um, I would be bathing in alcohol and antibiotics for days. I was like, water ain't getting that clean. <laughs> like, nope. That hand is infected. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, that's what, maybe 15, 20 minutes in? And I was like, oh, yeah, Frank's done. But, I was I mean, so done, dude. You and know then you me. book in that near the end when he's swimming downstream and to get out of the river, he's climbing <sighs> through all those dead floating bodies that everyone he climbs over is more bloated and rotten. And there's one guy who's like super swollen, the tongue swollen, eyeballs are missing. And I'm like, yeah, no, no. Dude, I'm telling you, like <sighs> the attention to details is incredible, but it's to a point, it feels so real. It's too real. And, yeah. and 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 what a testament to this film because it's so easy for us to watch war movies and, and we are so desensitized to to film violence when it comes to film stuff it just doesn't bother me but this movie bothered me and yeah. this movie should bother you because yep. what this is about is something absolutely terrible and it's not you know this mission or whatever but it's just war in general and all this kind of stuff and it was in a way awesome to watch something like this and and feel terrible absolutely terrible like you shouldn't watch this and and feel good about it or excited about it it should hit you a certain way and this movie absolutely hit me over and over and over again with just how just how terrible this war was and every yeah. war is um okay so normally there's like a little final question that i mean that kind of wraps up everything i've got um yeah. I, I think it's <laughs> i think i know i forgot there's so much i wanted to say but like i told you guys i couldn't wrap my head around this in time yeah to like get down a solid <laughs> outline um but Alyssa made a very interesting comment i, I want to end with this Let's get your thoughts on it when this movie ended she kind of just sat there she loved it which was surprising and and she was like this this was really homeric like it felt like the odyssey so it's like odysseus on his on his journey like the french woman is the siren who's trying to lure you know schofield into stopping oh. his journey stay here with us you know that kind of thing and i hadn't i hadn't thought about that but it really struck me after she said it and like i said i want to give this a second watch maybe do a little bit of research i haven't read the odyssey since yeah right. i didn't read it when i was supposed to in like high school or whatever but i would be really curious to see any of the parallels and be very curious if this influenced mendez's writing at all you know and and it could be that it isn't like directly akin to it or whatever but it, it just goes to show that that while this feels very different from any movie you've ever seen or any any writing you've ever seen play out on screen and and it would be very easy to say, oh, this is a director's take on a screenplay or, or so on and so forth. It really does have the beats that you look for, right? And the conflict and the, you know, especially with, you know, like that, like the siren, you know, trying to yeah. draw our hero off course and, and yeah. so on. Like, these are all obstacles that must be overcome. And it's all there. It's just yeah. different than you expect. And that's wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, there's just nothing about it is what I expected. And that just made it all the better. Uh, it just, it totally hit me in such a different way than I was expecting. You know, we, we go back to the movies that we recommended earlier, 
big epic epic sprawling battles you know um limbs getting shot off cannonballs just brutality and and guys going back and forth and this is just not that movie Uh, it's just not there and it's but yet somehow harder hitting in uh, some ways yeah absolutely no question it's it is really interesting though to to think about that to to put it in that framework of of what is actually what is actually there it is it's definitely worth a rewatch to go figure out you know even just to think now about when that flip switched for him you know when Schofield goes from that sort of bumbling I can't do this like Blake dies to I got to push this truck out of the mud myself if I have to. Like, it's just where that, because then after that, nothing's going to stop him. Right. And from before then, everything was going to stop him. He, he, he was being told to turn around and go back. You know, it's well, but to his credit, he never does. Right. And that's just right. it. He'll tell you all day long. He doesn't want to do it. Right. Yep. And that makes sense. But Schofield ends up right when they, when that switch happens and you realize that the hero you're really watching is not the one that you thought yeah and and he takes us the rest of the journey suddenly you realize when you watch him at the beginning he immediately i agree completely he's this complaining useless guy seemingly who's just getting hurt getting in the way causing all this trouble being a real negative nancy super big (laughs) downer you know what i mean like really putting the spoil on this beautiful day in war. <laughs> and right, so, right. But then, but there's nothing he doesn't do. Yeah. He gets buried in rubble. He doesn't turn around. He keeps pushing forward. He gets his hand stabbed through. He keeps pushing forward. He gets his hand stuck into a dead body. And then when Blake dies, he could have just stopped. He could have yep. been like, well, Blake's dead. I'm this. I'm going to go with these guys, whatever. But he doesn't. He has to complete it. And that's why he's the best soldier. Because yeah. he's not in it because he wants to be. But if he has to do it, he's going to do it with everything he has. And and what you end up realizing at the end is that he was always the hero. Yeah. Um, and you just didn't yeah. know it at first. It's it's unbelievable writing. It's unbelievable. Ugh. Freaking Sam Mendes. You should write more movies, buddy. Um, <laughs> okay, so we just talked about a ton. An absolute yep. ton. But uh, final thoughts, final ratings. Tim, do you recommend this movie? And what do you uh, read it? I, I have recommended it three times alone <laughs> today. Um, I was telling my parents, I was like, go find this movie. Um, I told my mom to tell my grandfather to go watch this movie. I think he would definitely appreciate it as well. Um, absolutely recommend it. Go watch it, rent it, buy it. I, I have to watch it again at some point. There's no question. Yeah. Um, I mean, we've talked about the colors and the overall feeling and it's just beautiful and horrendous and upsetting and surprising. Absolutely a must watch. And it's just stupid how good this movie is for as unepic of a quest as onward was. This is an absolute epic quest and it is just, uh, just go watch it. Just do it. What do you rate it? I, I have to go with it's up there. I mean, I think I have to go nine out of 10. I, I mean, I don't know. Perfect movie. I, you know, maybe someday. I mean, it's, 
maybe maybe take half a point off for the rats because I just I hate the rats. They're really annoying me. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's nine, ten, nine point five out of ten. It's just it's so good. I agree. And it's what you said, as much as an epic quest was missing in Onward, what's funny is, as much as this is not an epic war film, it's an epic war film. Yeah. This movie is a movie of contradictions. It's a movie of complexity hiding as simplicity. It is It is nothing. It's a movie of contradictions. It is juxtaposed against itself. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. And it's stunning i recommend this movie with every fiber of my being (laughs) it not only needs to be included in every conversation about the greatest war films of all time but i think it honestly stands among the greatest films ever made this movie is heart-wrenching it's powerful it's immersive it's visceral i'm gonna say it one more time it is visceral it's a master class in direction, in acting, in cinematography, in screenwriting. I can't stop thinking about this movie. I can't stop talking about this movie. Even when I don't know what to say about this movie, you just have to you just have to say something. I would recommend this movie a thousand times over. Um it's it's almost flawless. I honestly, like, I don't even know. I, I, I still don't know what happened to my face. And I give, yeah. I give it a nine and a half out of ten. Just because yeah. I agree. I think I think a perfect movie, no. Is it probably the closest thing to a perfect movie I've ever seen? Yeah. And what's funny is when I'm putting this all together, at first, it didn't feel like that. At first, mm. even the screen, like it seemed like maybe the screenwriting was a little bit weak. But the more I thought about it, it was it was one of the strongest parts. Or I thought the acting could have been. And then the more I thought about it, it was flawless acting, you know. And I went into this like the cinematography is what makes this movie. That is one part of every other part that makes this so good, right? Mm-hmm. And and it, it t- to the very end, it fooled me. It yep. fooled me into thinking that there was a weakness in this, and there, there almost isn't. There truly almost isn't. Um, and so it's the closest thing I've ever seen. It's a nine and a half. It's yeah. a nine and a half. I mean, just as as we close it out, I mean, there are just so many more things that that come to my mind <laughs> of just about how it all comes together, and it you could just talk forever about it. I mean. Uh, he doesn't even necessarily succeed in the end. He succeeds 85% of the way. Like there's just so much to it. And that, you know, it's what you said about surprises that really takes me, you know, it's like if this was a normal movie, everything is wrapped up and buttoned up and everyone is happy, but it's not, it's a movie about real events and sometimes those real events don't end the way that you really wanted to or the way that they set out that, you know, that, that, that you set out to have them resolve. And it's, it, you just have to feel some sort of way about this movie at the end. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely. Just, that's, that's it. Spot on. All right, guys. Well, thanks for riding this one out with us. I know it was a long one, but hopefully this takes you into Memorial Day weekend ready and uh in the right state of mind i guess 
you got an extra quarantine day free to listen to this episode. So that's it. You know, oh, that's so true. <laughs> three days off instead of two. The first time I've ever went into a holiday, I'm like, do I really want to not go to work on Monday? It's fine, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm ready to not go to work. Um, <laughs> let's see what else, guys. Reach out to us. Tell us what you think. Remembering that next week we're going to start the new uh, structure where we're going to sort of split these episodes up. So I think that's going to work really well. But if you have yeah. thoughts, whatever, just let me know. And, and thoughts about this movie. Thoughts about any movie. What do you want us to watch? What do you want to talk about? Uh, reach out to us. Facebook at Pause Reviews. Instagram at Pause Reviews. Twitter at Pause Reviews. PauseReviews.com. Uh, there's a contact us form there. And if you want to email us directly, pausedreviews at gmail.com. So just remember, guys, pause reviews. We're everywhere. And, and of course, listen to this uh, anywhere you get your podcast. Guys, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Google Play Music. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We are all over the place, ready and waiting for you to come and join us. I think that's about it. Yeah. Now, everybody have a great holiday. Stay safe. Stay home. You know, get all the meat. Barbecue it up yourself. Eat it by yourself. It'll still be great. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Virtual barbecues. Nice. Um, yeah, guys. So so check it out. Subscribe, like, share, all that good stuff. Have a great holiday. And we'll catch you guys on the next one. As always, I'm your boy, Frank. This is Tim. We'll see you. Peace. <laughs>